Attention crew, this is your Captain Caliban speaking. This is a supplemental episode of Enterprising Individuals, where we bring you news and tidbits from the world of Trek. Also, interviews with special guests and a few little surprises along the way. We're putting the bits in tidbits this week, as there's not too much news happening on the Trek front. But we do have a little discovery news to impart, and we take the critical temperature of Seth MacFarlane's Trek tribute show, The Orville. And that temperature will be taken, I think you can guess, with a rectal thermometer old school. So let's get underway. Well, it wouldn't be a supplemental show without a bit of discoverage, and so here we are. There are quite a few television spots for the show now, eight and counting, I believe, and the last two were pretty slick. There's the remaining Klingon trailer, which is pretty much just the camera panning around to Kuvma, the leader of the Klingons in the new show, as he gives his big speech about remaining Klingons, and about how, I think he says, Atom by atom they will silence us, cell by cell our souls shall become theirs. Cells. Interesting. Some people think this relates to the augment Klingons, uh, as in Takuma et al. are trying to remain biologically Klingon and not end up like William Campbell in the Tribbles episode. I have my doubts. Um, I think that would be an interesting way to sort of make that connection. And of course, we are Trek fans, which means that we are canon savvy, but not everything has to be super canon connected, uh, as we'll talk about a little bit later in a different story. Um, could be neat, though. Maybe be a nice connection. Let me know what you think about it on Facebook or Twitter at EISTpod. We also see in the Fortune Favors the Bold trailer a little more action involving the crew of the USS Discovery and, of course, Jason Isaacs as Captain Lorca, and he quotes that famous line, Fortune Favors the Bold. Now he's biting from Pliny the Elder, it looks like, so rest easy, blue-collar comedians, your material is safe for now. This is a good-looking trailer, but if I had a gripe, and I always do, there's one scene where Mary Wiseman's character, Cadet Tilly, exclaims, This is so cool! And is it? I mean, we know that Tilly is being set up as the uh, naive character, and it'll, it'll be interesting to see if they can do Wesley right this time around, but cool? It doesn't seem very 23rd century-y. I mean, I don't know what I'd want her to say instead, but future so shows always trip up when they try to invent slang. I mean, look at Battlestar. Frack only worked because of its self-consciousness. I mean, they just kept doing it. Um, it's just funny that Star Trek's always been kind of uncool, you know, kind of stiff, because it's a military sci-fi show written by a super uncool turtleneck and blazer dude from the 60s. And it worked in later shows because you had super cool actors like Jonathan Frakes and Marina Sirtis acting like oversexed guidance counselors. But they kept it relatively free of modern slang. And like the one or two times that something got through, it did feel weird. There's one scene in TNG... I think maybe it's in Captain's Holiday, where Troy finally convinces Picard to take a break and go to Risa. And as he walks away, she goes, yes! You know, she makes the, like the fist gesture, like Data does in Generations. And it's fun, but it feels like they left the camera running too long, <laughs> like that was a little outtake. But who am I to judge? The use of cool as meaning, well, cool has been around at least since the 40s, so who's to say it's not a permanent fixture in our lexicon? From the 23rd century, this has been Captain Caliban's Cool Corner. 
apparently. Fan Expo Canada was last weekend in Toronto, right where they filmed Discovery, of course, and most of the major players of the cast of Discovery were there. Also there was lead motion graphic designer Timothy Peel, who had something interesting to say about the design of the uniforms in the new series. The uniforms of Discovery's crew are uniformly, haha, blue, as we've seen, but in reference to the production, he said, quote, They are sort of restricting all the color schemes, and they will slowly advance and become more colorful as we get closer to the original series, and for other reasons I can't repeat, end quote. Hmm, that's kind of neat. Oh, uh, sorry. This is so cool! I mean, I don't need them to explain why the uniforms are different or why the Klingons look weird. It's a TV show. I understand completely that it's a TV show. It's not real. It's all real. Oh, my God, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. (laughs) I mean, it seems to bear up the idea that a more simplistic aesthetic of the Enterprise jumpsuits from Star Trek Enterprise will move into the plain jacket look of the cage, and that'll lead into a little more color for the original series going forward. But again, it's a TV show. I mean, they need to wow people. Um, Variety did a cover story this week on Discovery, and they reported that each episode of the show cost eight to eight and a half million dollars, which is a lot for a TV show. And all that money has to go somewhere. But whatever. It's a semi-formal Navy and a post-scarcity society that can essentially make clothes with a wave of their hand. I mean, they change uniforms like three times in the course of just going from TNG to Nemesis. So it all tracks. No word yet about the inclusion of the famous scants, however. They look like dresses. That is an incredibly outmoded and sexist attitude. I'm surprised at you. Besides, you look good in a dress. If you were any other man, I would kill you where you stand. Well, the reviews are coming in for Seth MacFarlane's Trek-like show, The Orville, ahead of its September 10th release date. And I hope the shields are up, because the ship's taken a few hits. The new show is currently sitting at 22% on Rotten Tomatoes and at 34 on Metacritic, with most naysayers citing the frat boy humor and perplexing tone to be detractions. Specifically the fact that it's trying to be a lot more serious than a typical McFarland joint. Um, David Nemetz of TV Line said of it, The Orville feels like a vanity project, plain and simple, and while it might be fun for McFarland to run around shooting phasers and playing Captain Kirk, it's not much fun to watch. David Weigand of the San Francisco Chronicle had bad things to say as well, calling out McFarlane as a subpar leading man and scratching his head at the show's attempts to play it straight. General consensus seems to follow along those lines, and the show is billed as a dramedy, but critics seem to agree it's not funny enough or serious enough. Is it my turn? Um, you know, I've never been a fan of McFarlane's, really, um, whether he's being tongue-in-cheek, see Family Guy, or Sincerely Earnest, see his swing albums. As the show hasn't premiered yet, I mean, there's not an audience score to offset these low critic scores, but it doesn't look like there's much of a future for this future. Or there is. Who knows? Family Guy was canceled, like, twice and came back. I mean, McFarlane's definitely got a picture of Rupert Murdoch eating a baby or something, so it's anyone's guess if this show will get a second season or finish its first. Hey, loving Star Trek and wanting to make a Star Trek show is totally understandable, but it's not easy. Ask Gene Roddenberry. He tried to do it, like, ten more times after Trek and then basically got thrown off of his own movies and TV show. But I say stick to your strengths. You like dirty jokes? You like reference humor? Find a way to do that in the 24th century. Look at other space. No, seriously, look. Except you can't, because no one did, and now it's gone, and that's why we can't have nice things. 
Let's take a quick trip back to Discovery for a minute as I once again urge you to check out David Mack's new book, the first book to be written as a tie-in to Star Trek Discovery, Desperate Hours. No, not the Michael Cimino movie. This is a novel about Lieutenant Michael Burnham, who gets promoted to acting first officer of the USS Shencho and must protect a Federation colony that is under attack by an ancient alien vessel that has surfaced from the deepest fathoms of the planet's dark, uncharted sea. That is so cool! It's set a year before the events of Discovery, and according to Mac Attack, I'm going to start calling him Mac Attack, and if he wants me to stop, he can tell me personally, it's set one year after the Enterprise's mission to Talos IV under Captain Jeffrey Hunter, as depicted in the cage with the jackets. So, three, seven, carry the one. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's ten years before TOS. Mac Attack sticking with it, is an incredible author. He's written a ton of Trek books, and he knows his stuff, so you're not going to want to miss this. I'll include a link in the show description to where you can go to reserve your copy. It's available on Amazon. It's coming out December 26th. It's Desperate Hours. Now 100% Mickey Rourke free. Well, listeners, we are desperate for your input. Please join us on our social media at facebook.com forward slash EISTpod, or find us at at EISTpod on Twitter or through our social media links on enterprisingindividuals.com. You can also reach the show at EISTpod at gmail.com with feedback and suggestions or to just say hello or please stop calling me Mac Attack. We're waiting to receive your transmission. So... As you know, Star Trek Discovery is imminent, and we are providing special coverage of the new show in the form of live recap episodes, which will air immediately after the show is broadcast every week. It's called Star Trek Discoverage, and each week I will be joined by special guests to give our reactions to the show, our analysis of how it fits into canon, what we think is coming up, what we think of the uniforms, whether it is so cool or not, the whole nine yards. Follow us on Twitter at at EISTpod to get announcements of when we're going live. And if you can't catch us live, the Discovered shows will be available after broadcast on our Patreon page. And you, too, can become a crew member for the show by going to patreon.com forward slash EISTpod and signing up to receive exclusive subscriber content like our Discovered shows, my DS9 recap episodes, my Klingon Christmas Carol rehearsal diary, and much more. Just go to patreon.com forward slash EISTpod. Anything you can contribute would be appreciated and would help keep us flying. Thanks. And that's it for this supplemental episode of Enterprising Individuals. If you're an iTunes listener and you haven't yet, why not look us up on iTunes and make sure that you're subscribed to the show. Also, write us a little review if the spirit moves you, and give us a rating at the very least. We'd appreciate it. If you're not on iTunes, you can still subscribe to the show on Google Play or Stitcher or wherever you get our show from. And if you leave positive comments and ratings on those platforms as well, we would be eternally grateful. Next time on Enterprising Individuals. It's not easy being a kid on the USS Enterprise. What with the Romulans trying to blow you up every week, Alexander setting fire to the alien zoo, and adults basically expecting the computer to be your babysitter. It's enough to make Clara imagine a new friend. Except this mean girl's got blown out hair, glowing red eyes, and murder on her mind. Returning guest Mikan Hana of the Just Enough Trope podcast joins me next week for a Next Generation episode that's in an area not designated for children. And Alexander's Klingon pimp cup is the first casualty. Not cool, Isabella. It's Imaginary Friend, next time on Enterprising Individuals. And until then, I'm your Captain Caliban, signing off and saying, live long and prosper. <laughs>